And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of Live from the Bunker. Jason Hunt here in the studio. And yes, a little bit late because I was pulling up some different things on the screen for you to see if you're watching. Let's let's start here with Live from the Bunker, now available on iHeartRadio, as well as the H2O podcast. And we also, just this week, landed over at the new podcast section on Amazon Music. So you can find Live from the Bunker and the H2O podcast over there as well. We're very happy about that. Welcome, everyone. This is our last show of the week. Going into the weekend, we've got a, a, a very good good conversation coming up and uh hope you stick around for that leanne krasik will be in here in just a moment first of all let's get to a little bit of business the live chat is open the conversation is pre-recorded today so we will be monitoring chat while we play that back uh you can also leave us comments and email uh the email address live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com and don't forget, we do have a 10% discount set up over at SuperheroStuff.com. Use the promo code SciFi for me 10 when you check out, and you can save 10%. And that can be used in combination with some other offers, depending on what those offers are. So if they're running a sale, you can add the discount to that sale in some cases and save even more money. So uh, there is that. Um over on Stitcher, we mentioned iHeart and we mentioned Amazon. We're also on Apple Podcasts. The H2O Podcast is over on Stitcher. We've got to get live from the bunker over there. Uh, and and yes, we are aware of the Pedro Pascal rumors. I've reached out. We're actually talking about maybe possibly doing another a special edition of Ranker Pit this week, but I don't know if we've decided to do that yet. So there's that going on. Also, want to wish a happy birthday to Cassandra Peterson. Elvira herself is uh, having a birthday today. So happy birthday there. And I think, what was it today? Uh, there was a TV show. Battlestar Galactica, I think. No. There was a TV show. I just saw I just saw a mention of it over on Facebook somewhere. A TV show started today. Was it Battlestar Galactica? I don't know. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. All right. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw a little bit of a of a a spot in here just to give us a little bit of a break. And then we were going to come back. Leanne Krasik, she is the uh, artist and writer, creator in charge of a Webtoon comic strip called Let's Play. And it is not the typical story that I would normally enjoy. And I found myself enjoying it, which to me, speaks to the writing and the creativity and the structure of it uh, more than anything else. It's actually, it's a, it's a rom-com. But it's kind of a gamer, it's a kind of a gamer environment-based thing. So it's, it's in our wheelhouse, it's in our, it's in our milieu, as you were. Uh, so here we go, back with that right after this. We are going to put some rules in place. The grown-ups are back. And this time, no subject is sacred. When they're making fun of him for being a Christian, no issue is ignored. This is a tragedy. This is a a horrible thing. And no one is safe. But as someone who deals with depression, 
I, this, is, this is an issue with me. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. little funk to go with our Thursday conversation, which is with someone that you might not expect me to talk with, because the question is, is this really in my wheelhouse or not? Leanne Krasik joins us now, and, and by way of introduction, Leanne is the creator, writer, artist on a webtoon comic strip called Let's Play. Welcome to the program. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Now, this this is the 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 conversation that I'm I'm not sure that I'm on very solid footing here because, like I said, this this show, the this this webtoon is quite a bit outside my wheelhouse because it's a it's a romantic comedy mainly mm-hmm. uh and yes. i stumbled upon it quite by accident really because we had uh in in the course of the coverage of comics that we do here i keep an eye mm-hmm. out on a lot of different indiegogo and kickstarter crowdfunding projects and this one mm-hmm spun out of a thread somewhere on Twitter. And I looked at it and I thought, oh, well, this kind of looks like a little manga anime type of thing. Let's check it out. So I looked at the Kickstarter for Volume 2, and rabbit holes mm-hmm. being what they are, did a little bit of a dive and started reading. Oh, I'll just check out the first couple of things because I'm looking for something because we want to expand our coverage of comics. And I ended up reading both seasons throughout the throughout a weekend. I just went and caught up, and I surprised myself digging in and following this story. So, one, that's a credit mm-hmm. to your writing uh, that it <laughs> that it held my attention. So, I thought I'd I'd, I'd bring you on. We talk about the show, uh, talk about the strip, and and see the beginnings of it, where it is now. Talk about the Kickstarter a little bit, where you're going with it next. And just kind of mm-hmm. bounce around a little bit. So, so let's start uh, just to to get everybody up to speed here. There's 127 different episodes, I guess you could say, and these are um, vertical in their design, which I thought was yep. kind of intriguing because you don't have your traditional. Um, your traditional canvas uh, for for this kind of thing. So where did the idea for this come from, and why do it as a webtoon as opposed to your traditional format layout? Well, a couple of reasons. One is, so what this vertical scrolling format is called, it's, a, it's an infinite canvas. So basically it can just go down (laughs) forever if you want um when you're telling the story and one of the reasons why i did um in this format was because i was reading webtoons or at least in the vertical scrolling format for a few years and at first it there was this moment where i wasn't really like um on like vibing with it like it, it it 
I was used to reading it in a page format, mm-hmm. but it, it really grew on me. And there was this moment I was reading a, a webtoon called Lessa, which is, um, it, it is a sci-fi, I believe. And I was reading it in on my tablet in my bed at night and it was dark. And as I was scrolling up, there was this big fight scene that was at nighttime. And then the main character, the, um, the sun was rising at one point in the comic. And as I scrolled up, the sun was like rising at the bottom of my tablet and the light was like from the picture and the adjustment was like in my eyes. And I was like, Whoa, that's really bright. And then the other character goes, Whoa, that's really bright. And I was like, (laughs) wow, that's a really interesting experience that I had with this, you know, shared experience I had with this character. And it like really had an impact for me. So that kind of helped the creative juices for me flowing. And also I worked in it for over 11 years. And so I was thinking, okay, you have this, this digital format that works great on mobile devices. I think that, you know, uh, there's a lot of people who love comic books and love the material, like holding it in the textile and all that kind of stuff. But I think in terms of getting as my book into as many hands as possible, it, that would be through a phone. And the, the beginnings of this, when you start to put these ideas together, having a background in IT, mm-hmm. is that where the idea started? Mm-hmm. Or did you start with the characters and then the IT stuff kind of flowed in there because it's a natural fit? Which, which came first as far as chicken right. and egg there? So the plot came first, um, the premise. Uh, I watch a lot of YouTube uh, let's players and streamers and stuff. And I had watched a video from a popular let's player and he had played a game that was a fan made game and, um, had given it a really negative review. And I remember watching the video going, well, wonder what that fan was going through and what they would feel if they met that person, like met that let's player in person. And that was basically the plot formation there and then the characters came and followed i did want sam the main female protagonist to be a stem career young woman and in that sense i could easily relate to her with my own career at the time and the i see uh, i see a cat tree behind you but (laughs) sam does not have a cat sam has a dog bowser Uh, who apparently is becoming the the highlight of the of the story here? A lot of people have really latched on to Bowser as a favorite, and he's you know he's got his own personality, he's got his own his own thing, has even had a couple of his yeah. own episodes. Um, Correct. He he's sort of an amalgam. I think I heard on a, on an interview that you did. He's an amalgam of the various different pets that you have. Yeah, he's similar to a cat that I have named Butler, who is a tuxedo cat, and also my dog, Baron, who's a St. Bernard mix. So, and, and it's mainly in personality. Um, I have two cats all, all together, but um, he's a Bowser is a very good mascot for the series. And I think that a lot of people really like kind of the added details that he brings into the story and just as a creator, it's always fun to have an animal's perspective on things. Now, the, the, the romantic comedy aspect of it, uh, you know, my, my background, my, my, my wheelhouse, of course, science fiction, 
fantasy. I've made a romantic comedy feature film because mm. that's that's the cheap one to do. You don't have all the special effects and everything. It's not expensive. But right. the that kind of story normally doesn't uh, draw me in. I'm not I'm not really big into that kind of a story. And as Mrs. Boss over here will attest, I'm not a very romantic person very often. Um, <laughs> but but she likes me for for being boring. That's fine. Uh, but but the idea that this kind of a story would pull me in, and I started to think about well, why did it why did it hold my interest? Why did it? Mm-hmm keep me focused on, well, I do want to know what happens next. And I think it's a combination of a couple of things. One, the writing is very solid. The characters are developed enough and you can feel the progression of how things are going, but also the, the way that the chapters are structured where you, you know, where everything lands on a cliffhanger every single time. How hard is that to structure? Because you've said uh, in the past that you've got an idea. You know where this is going to end. You have Mm -hmm. A and you have Z and everything in between is going to kind of do this until you get to the end. So how do you plan out Mm -hmm. your structure for each chapter? Where do you decide, okay, this is where the cliffhanger is and we'll go to the next thing? Um. It's kind of hard to explain. I, I last script I wrote for Let's Play was episode eleven, so much to my I'm sure my editor's chagrin at Webtoon. Um, I think that the way each episode is is it, I play it like a movie in my head, and or like an episode, like a TV episode, right. and then I go into illustrating it and roughing it in each page, and. When it comes to the cliffhanger, I think what is going on in that scene, what has gone on in the episode, like the series as a whole, and where it would be a good place to end this. And there have been times where it happens more that I push an episode longer than it should be um, in order to meet that cliffhanger. I think it's only happened like twice I've shortened an episode, but um, it's to me after working on season two it was i'd get the episode done monday day and then it would release that night and then tuesday i completely unplug and then wednesday i basically like relax and get rest and then thursday i start playing that episode in my head like i'm watching it and how how best to interact the characters and then by Friday, I'm drawing it again. Now, you say that chapter 11 was the last time you wrote a script. I I take Mm -hmm. it by that. Afterwards, you're kind of going on the fly just wherever the scene leads you. Do you have a general, are you outlining anything or is it just everything's improv at that point? I have a I have a full outline for the series. I mean, there's obviously the whole squiggly line was supposed to (laughs) emphasize like I don't want to say like filler because that's not really like filler is usually a negative, but it's like all the fluff, right? That right. you, how much, like there are things I've had to do to include in an episode and think I would have to, because some readers didn't understand or they, whatever. So I had to like pad that in there um, in terms of like working on each episode that it, 
I know what I want for the next like five episodes from where I am now. But if you say like, where, where's it going to be in 20 episodes? I don't know for sure. Um, it's all just kind of like, kind of like riding the surfboard on that wave. You know, it's like, I can see where the beach is, but I don't necessarily um, know what the next wave is going to be. So um, it's, it is, there is a level of improv, but as long as I stay on the overall outline and the key points, I think it, it's gone pretty, pretty smoothly so far. And each chapter begins with a recap, you know, previously mm-hmm. on. So you, you're following that episodic uh, element, but there are times where you're pulling in callbacks to not the immediate previous episode, but mm-hmm. things two or three or four episodes back. Yeah. Are those the instances where you're starting to plant seeds and say, okay, I'm going to drop this here and then I'm going to develop it and bring it out later? Or are those places where you sit there and go, oh, I did this four episodes ago. Let's pull mm-hmm. that thread. Which how, how, how much is going one direction with a plan and the other one is, is going the other direction in hindsight and saying, oh, I can mm-hmm. use this? Well, I, when it comes to the plot, I'm like Johnny Appleseed. I'm like putting seeds everywhere. Um, and, and sometimes, like, I have to remind myself that Let's Play is an episodic, is a weekly episode release. And I mean, this is my career. I'm ensconced in the story. So what happened 40 episodes ago is still fresh in my mind because it's in there stewing away. But I have to remind myself that 40 episodes ago is 40 weeks ago. So when it comes to those recaps, I'm bringing it back because like um, a good example would be Marshall's friends. Um, They were in episode eight, I think like their silhouettes was first uh, suggested. And then they didn't come out until like episode um, I think, 115 or something like that right so it's like we remember these silhouettes and these guys that did this well here they are you know and so it's like i have to use that episodic reminder to like at the beginning be like hey guys remember that seed that i planted here's here's a grown so it's i think it helps a lot of a lot of readers in that regard um just kind of get back on uh back on page where we're at and there is a, a mix of styles here. Uh, mm-hmm. Primarily, it feels mostly manga with a little anime in terms of you know facial expressions and sometimes how you draw eyes and, and reactions. Mm-hmm. But then you have the chibis mm-hmm. for the real interesting, you know, like the, the intense reactions. Yeah. How do you determine which style you're using for which piece is that just kind of a natural flow is oh this is where the chibis go or you just are are you kind of just go with the flow or or where where do those fall in there yeah it's really it is there is a large part of it that's go with the flow um when it comes to chibis it's pretty much when a chibi is drawn it's like this is not to be taken seriously Mm -hmm. um like if that emotion is it it's obviously an over exaggeration because that's what chibis are, right? Big heads, big faces, that sort of thing. Um, and then it's usually to a reaction. And like in this panel right here, there is an innocence to it. Right. Like um, he's just, I wanted to be innocent. I wanted it to be cute. 
and very harmless. So um, when there's, you know, like when Charles gets called out for showing favoritism to one of his employees in order to help the overall company, he kind of goes chibi and he's just like uh, busted sort of thing. So it's like, it's supposed to be in that moment, showing favoritism can be very bad, but in that sense, it's supposed to be considered innocent and cute sort of thing. So it's really just kind of to soften any potential blow <laughs> that could <laughs> that could come to readers yeah. and just and put them in a state of ease, I guess. And then on rare occasions you have something like this. And this is very mm-hmm. much manga uh oh, yeah. in its in its feel. Uh and the black and white mm-hmm. uh I think kind of heightens this intensity to this because you know this this webtoon is in color, mm-hmm. except in places like this where it's not. Yeah. And how much how much are you studying the different styles? Because you you've got a background in art and music, um, I, and I think I want to say you went to Kansas City Art Institute for a while. Is that right? Or I no? went to the I went to the UMKC Conservatory. Okay, and for music, yeah. I the last art class I took, I was twelve. So so are you essentially self taught then? Yes. I guess okay. I'm pretty much entirely self taught. So then where are your influences then coming from? Because you have a number of different styles here, but it's mostly uh, Japanese style. So do you have favorites? Mm-hmm. Or? Yeah, I mean, I like I grew up reading Marvel. And when I got to about 13 and 14, um, that was in the 90s. And it was really hard to get a hold of manga because it wasn't really imported. And... So I started to get into Sailor Moon and watching the cartoon because it was played in the mornings right. and on local TV. And then when I found out that Mon- that Sailor Moon had a comic, which I didn't understand what manga was at the time, um, I started, that was probably around 15 or 16 years old. That's when the internet started to be a thing in people's households. And so I started looking that up. So my younger influence is definitely American comic. And then my later influence is manga. And I personally, like, I understand, like, I would have loved to have done Let's Play as black and white because I adore monochromatic comics. It's, there's just something about it to me that I don't know if it's nostalgia factor. I don't know if it's um, anything like that. But I also looked at the numbers and was like, color comics do well. Like they do better than black and white. So that's just, that's just a fact. Right. And so um, in terms of artists, I, Kishimoto Masashi, who's the creator of Naruto was a pretty big influence. Um, uh, Kaori Maori uh, created a a bride story. She also does Emma. Um, She's a big influence for me as well. But then I also like Joe Mad, you know, Joe Maguiera, um, I think he's an amazing artist and I've looked at a lot, his, a lot of his stuff and um, I, but for me, I always, in terms of my art, I, I don't feel like I'm there. I feel like I'm still evolving and I'm still growing as an artist because I don't, I feel like I can still do the art a lot better. And, and what do you call these? I think you had a specific name for these <laughs> and I, it's, it's right off the top of my head. I'm not, I'm not coming up with emoji bots. They're called no, I call them emoticons. Emoticons, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And you have these 
every now and again scattered throughout to just basically kind of heighten uh, what it is that these characters are going through. And I've seen Mm -hmm. some comments from people saying that they really appreciate these because Mm -hmm. of some of the people who read them who have uh, maybe some emotional... Um, some uh, some emotional health or or autistic. I, I'm not sure. You know those yeah. those people who sit there and say, "Okay, this helps read visual cues with body language," because I can see Correct. what I see how Sam is reacting, and now mm-hmm. I see this thing behind her that reinforces what it is that she's feeling. And is that is that a common reaction that you get from people? Have you heard a lot of that? Uh, that that reaction to this kind of, of element in the book? Yeah, I've, I've, I've had that response. I've also had um, like uh, one occasion, a, a father contacted me and said his son has really bad autism and the emoticons have really helped his son understand what's going like, cause they don't pick it. He didn't, his son doesn't pick up on uh, body language well. And so, having this personification of this emotional state or this particular dilemma helps the reader who may struggle with that sort of picking up on those cues. But the other reason why I draw it that way is because one, it can make, it can be funny because you can have them interacting with each other. You can have all the behind the scenes sort of um, traits and aspects of the story, but also because when it comes to things like, depression or anxiety for me personally I always feel like that's not who I am but it's something that I live with so having depression as or anxiety as this manifestation of a personification it's like oh I'm dealing with you today (laughs) not like I'm dealing with this flaw in my personality or my my mind or something so it for me it's it helps kind of tell a story and overall when they are facing these things it's not that they are themselves uh imperfect or flawed it's like let's deal with these things together and face them as a as a you know a group or whatever so it's there are numerous story elements as to why i use them and then you have this character here this uh, when you introduce the guild they -hmm. all have their player stats cards um, mm-hmm. Olivia is an interesting character for me because uh, as I'm reading it, she's deaf and mute. Correct. Is that right? Mm-hmm. And she's yep. using text to voice to communicate Correct. with her friends. Mm-hmm. Where, where did that idea come from? Was that something that you're, are you drawing inspiration from people that you know for various characters? Because Sam's not necessarily a self insert for you, but she Correct. has some aspects of you. Are there other people who are going to recognize themselves when they read these? <laughs> uh, it's possible. Um, Olivia, the fact that Olivia is deaf and mute um, is based roughly on my experience playing World of Warcraft. Um, I, spoilers, was a big World of Warcraft nerd. <laughs> and um, I would raid with somebody in PvP who was deaf. And at that time, a lot of people were using TeamSpeak or Ventrilo to coordinate and stuff like that. And that is basically a, you know, it's like a, like Zoom, only it's, you know, just voice. And um, 
this person would be like, I'm deaf. I can't, I can't do that. So somebody would have to type that out, what we were doing and what was being said. And that was usually me. So um, I, and they were a great player. And so it's like, I really wanted them to play with us because they were really good. And I didn't want them to miss out on anything. So just that experience of playing with somebody who um, was deaf and is, I feel like it's not at all included in nerd media um, and in stories and stuff. And I was like, I'll pay homage to my friend and, and include a little bit of, of their influence in the story. And I'm, I'm looking here to see, because there's one other, there's one other aspect of the art and I Mm -hmm. have to see if I can find it without giving away anything here. (laughs) Um, the the actual when they're in when they're in the video game world because you have mm-hmm. that as well uh mm-hmm. here we go um let's see because that's another art style that's different from all of the other art styles um here's a here's a a, a frame so here, this is Angela, and this is Angela's avatar Correct. in game. And mm-hmm. there's a noticeable difference in art. Are you pulling from a specific uh, art style for the in-game material? Because that's, even even among the different games that you've got, they have different styles. That That's a conscious choice then to sit there and go, oh, I'm going to make this one look like World of Warcraft, this one's going to look like Call of Duty, this one's going to look like Minecraft, or, you know, wherever. Oh, I see. Okay, so, like, to me, this is the same style, because it's using the same lines and colors and shading techniques and things like that. Um, so, in terms of style, like, you mean, like, the, the armor and, like, the outfits and just, like, the genre? Right. Is that what you mean? Well, because, okay. to me, some of the some of the in-game stuff, the, the colors and the shading did look a little bit different to me, but it could very well be mm-hmm. that I'm just looking at it different. Um, and, and the Ruminate stuff looks different from the, the Warcraft, this, this game stuff. Mm-hmm. Was that a, a, that's a deliberate difference, a different choice, or did it, it worked out that way because we have to make it look, we have to be obvious that we're in a different environment. Yeah. I mean, I wanted it, I, I wanted to be very clear of like, like this is with Ruminate, I wanted it to be almost surreal, you know, because you have like these enchanted forests that it's surrounded by and it's a fantastic world. And um, with World of War Quest, it was, um, well, at least what we've seen so far, it's like a very, like, it's a lot of raiding area. So it's like firelands and stuff like that. So I definitely wanted there to be like a separation of, for the reader to go, oh, okay, so we're in a game world now. Right, gotcha. And in terms of like my art style, it's still evolving, especially the coloring, because like now, like I have, a, I have assistants now who help me. I, for season three, I'm bringing on an, uh, an inker. So I'm able to spend more time with the rough and maybe do things a bit differently and it, like put some more um, like folds in clothing and a little bit more hair detail and stuff like that. Because when you're working on episodes, 50 panels a week that are full color, full ink, everything like that, it really 
you really just pray for more hours in a day <laughs> sort of situation. So it's like you, my art has for a long time, not necessarily been showing what I can do. Mm-hmm. It's more like what I can do in the time that I have. Sure. So it's like, just get the point across sort and, of thing. And you're working completely on a digital canvas. Is that right? You're not doing anything yes. pen and paper or anything. It's all, it's all nope. digital. Okay. All 100% digital. I have a lot of respect for traditional artists, but it's just not for me. <laughs> so how does that workflow change now with you bringing people on? It, it, you're, you're doing the roughs and you're sending them off and they send you the inks. Mm-hmm. How, much, how much leeway time are you giving yourself for corrections and changes at that point? Well, since I'm currently on a hiatus right now, um, I am already like season three probably won't be coming back until the second week of November. And so I'm already working on it now. So what my, how we're currently getting the machine rolling at this point is um, I am, I do the roughs. I send them to my inker. She, re- she gives them back in about two days. And then I hand them over to the lady who I do have just flats. She gets them back in a day. And then the shader she usually takes about two days. And so it's like, I think now with the number of assistants I have, it's probably takes about five to six, maybe seven days for everything. So for those who are not familiar with the terminology, when we're talking about comics, you talk about Mm -hmm. the roughs, that's the, that's the pencil stuff. The Mm -hmm. inks become, you know, the, the lines that define everything and give it real shape and form. Yeah. At that point, then we get into color and the flats and the shading. Explain Mm -hmm. that for for people who may not be aware of how all of that works. Because we see, you know, comics, traditional comics, you have the writer, you have pencils, you have inks, you have colors. You know, the colorist Mm -hmm. is just this blanket uh, job description and then you got somebody doing letters. But now you're talking about two separate pieces of the process in terms of colors. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, so the flats are basically, um, that person is putting all the base colors for the figures, um, everything in between the line arts. And then the shader is going through and she's adding the shade, like the shadows and stuff to those flats. And I brought on the flatter because, um, at the time I was... I had misread my statement of work (laughs) and was behind my deliverables. And so I felt like I was um, pushing my colorist at the time to, I was, I had unfair expectations for her. And so I was like, I'll bring on somebody to help. And then it just worked out so well to have this assistant and she's out of the Philippines. So it, I mean, I'm a night owl. So my time matches up perfectly with hers. So when I was done with the inks, I'd send her the flats. And by the time my shader was awake in California, everything was ready for her. So it just worked out really, really well. So, and then after the shader is done with the work, I take it and then I polish it and clean it. And I use algorithms and stuff in um, uh, Clip Studio Paint, the software that I have that like my shader does everything in black. So it's like 50% opacity. 
And then I use Clip Studio to then convert all the colors to their palettes. So like the skin and then the shading color for the skin and so forth and so on. And then I polish and smooth some things out. And then I put everything in Photoshop, put it in the vertical scrolling, use some more scripts that I wrote to as a programmer nerd, and then does all the cropping and spacing and all that kind of stuff. So it's, there's more, there's a lot of steps. Like I do the lettering too, and there's, probably the same number of steps as a traditional comic, but it's just a different process. Now, are, when you do the letters, are you doing the letters by hand? Or are you you're using, do you just pull a font and type it out? I use um, Nate Picos's anime Ace font that I bought the license to years ago. And um, he's a great inker or a great letterer, I should say. And so I use his font because it's, it's the same font that a lot of uh, trans fan translated comics uh, for manga uses. And so I wanted people that when they read my comic to be like, oh, I'm familiar with that font and have kind of a nostalgia factor involved. Uh, how are you finding the people to help? I mean, you're we're, like us, you're here in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Is it, are you networking in groups? Are you, are you finding, you know, like online groups, you're connecting through your video game work. How, how are you finding the people like in the Philippines and, and in California? Where What's that process like to, to find people to help on something like this? Well, the three assistants I have now were all fan artists. So they all did fan drawings of my comic. So the first assistant I brought on, I submitted a sketch. She colored it. And I thought when I looked at it that I had colored it for a second. And I was like, whoa. And so I asked her, I was like, would you be interested in being brought on as a coloring assistant? She's like, yeah. And so, and then the other one was, she was an artist as well who did a lot of fan work. And then the third. So that's, that's how I found my, my assistants. And um, I know a lot of other creators uh, from Webtoon, they, put out a social media post and say, Hey, I'm looking for like, this is what I give you. This is what I expect back. What are your rates? And please send that back to me. So now how much of this on your Instagram is your work and how much of this is fan submitted that people send you uh, to share? All that's on my account is all my work. Okay. All right. That's all my stuff. Because you look at something like this, this is, this is, uh, these are your main characters. This is Sam, mm-hmm. this is Charles and, and, and Marshall. Uh, Marshall. Mm-hmm. Um, images like this in the marketing of the thing, it, it's, is there a deliberate, I'm going to take a specific approach to marketing this webtoon? Because this artwork kind of doesn't reflect the tone of the of the web comic as much. I mean, it's it's titillating to be sure, and it does evoke a certain uh, style in terms of manga and anime because you you have Mm -hmm. those kinds of of stories. But is this something where it's like, okay, well, I'm going to tease people with this, and we're gonna we're gonna really just kind of skate the edge a little bit and. And is it really what this is, or is that not what it was, or how do well, how do that, you determine how to market this? That particular question, or that particular art piece, um, is going to be the new banner for season three. So I did want to uh, 
basically titillate on what season three could potentially include. Um, there, it, you know, it's marketing, right? So you sure. want to try to get as much appeal as possible. Um, I think that for the most part, when it comes to marketing illustrations I've done for Let's Play, I think I've been very um, safe. And I wish that I, I mean, I'm still trying to capture that lightning in a bottle when it comes to like marketing illustrations. Cause I've saw, I've seen some things that people have done. I'm like, that's so awesome. Like, how do I take what I have and let's play and do kind of a similar vibe and energy. And so in that particular piece, I wanted to definitely show that um, one, Sam is struggling <laughs> between these two <laughs> gentlemen and, and also like, well, season three is going to potentially lead to a development between these two characters with Sam in terms of romantic aspects. So it's it. All my illustrations are always so much more detailed than the comic itself because I have the time to work on it. Well, and then you have uh, these, these animated promos Mm -hmm. that I'm assuming Webtoon put together, or is this something that you did on your own as part of uh, getting the word out? This was, uh, I, I believe this was done by a studio in Korea. Um, okay. They did these promotional shorts and that was, yeah, Webtoons had approached me and they said we would like to do these promotional shorts and this was two and a half years ago and and they said, would you be interested? And I said, heck yeah, I want to see my comic animated. And then um, a few months later, it turned out, oh, well, it was going to be um, a separate writer was going to come up with a script and they weren't going to make it completely let's play based it was going to be it was a lot of different things that um not quite what you were expecting i mean i hate to say that because it sounds that that could potentially sound bad but when they approached me i thought it was going to be an animated series based off let's play i mean that like true to true to the story right and and instead it was like here's we're gonna have a separate writer as a script do this and i thought i would be a bit more involved in it but um now is that something that you would like to do at some point i mean because you're talking let's play i think you said you've got it mapped out for what seven seasons um i mean ish well so when i said seasons that was before i realized that i had to do seasons based off my contract and my contracts are a year. Gotcha. So I was thinking like two years could be a single season, but now I can see it being um, like maybe another two or three seasons really kind of depends on how things evolve. And how did let's play land at Webtoon as opposed to, well, I'm just going to put it up on my own site or, you know, some some other some other place where you could put it, you know, DeviantArt or something like that. Right. Well, so when I first did Let's Play, I put it everywhere. I shotgunned it everywhere. I had it on my own site. I had it on DeviantArt. I had it on Topastic. I had it on Patreon. I had it anywhere and everywhere. And the reason why I was pushing towards Webtoon was because Webtoon was the only um, website that actually had a paid program which was featuring a comic. And so, and they also had a canvas. Well, it was called canvas at the time. Now it's called discover, I think. And 
they had it hooked in with your Patreon. So if you had a certain number of readers, they would compensate you. So I just felt like there was potential for more money at Webtoon as, and I'm not saying I'm like, I need the money. I'm just saying like, (laughs) if I was switching this to my career, I needed to make money. So it was, there, there is, there is, uh, not you know the mercenary aspects of it are not 100% negative i mean that's it, yeah, you, know, I mean, you find something that you enjoy something that you're good at something that you love to do uh, right. there's no reason why you shouldn't try to make money off of it that's completely right. understandable but yeah. i agree but you would be surprised <laughs> how some people are like this is an art you shouldn't you shouldn't care about making money from an art form and so it's like yeah but i got it i need to eat like <laughs> i need to pay bills but um anyway so i i was really pushing for webtoon because i knew that also if they did like my comic and decide to feature it and do exclusivity they would compensate me for that so um that was one of the main reasons why i push for let's play now or push for webtoons now in the future if I do another title, it may be webtoons. It may be entirely self-published. It might be what have you. So it's it really that's kind of up in the air right now. And this one nominated for an Eisner Award. Uh, how did yep. that feel when that came down and and said, "Oh, hey, by the way, uh, you're you're now in you're now in kind of the big league area there with with a nomination." I don't think it really. Even now, I don't think it's really sunk in. Um, I mean, it was really awesome to go to the Eisners and because I've never been and you know sit there and and it was it was a great time. And I did not go there expecting to win at all. Um, and so I just was like, I'm not. I know I'm not going to win. I'm not going to get my hopes up. I just want to enjoy this experience. And and I did. I had a great time. And so to know that it got nominated is I mean I'm honored I'm definitely honored and um but I still don't think I fully have realized what that means <laughs> like <laughs> like it hasn't really sunk in I guess right. so it's it, I'm glad that the there are peers that felt my comic deserve recognition well and and it would seem that something like that you know in ter- in terms of you know when you talk about the marketing of this thing it would seem that that would be one of the one of the pieces that's front and center eisner nominated comic book you know eisner mm-hmm. nominated project and you have that in uh, here when you when you look at the kickstarter campaign for volume 2 which i'm assuming is collecting season 2 is that right Mm-hmm. So this, and you've got it right there, front and center. Eisner nominated webcomic. Is that something? Have you have you had discussions with friends, family, agent, lawyer? Says get the Eisner nomination out there as much as possible because that says something. So that was put together by my manager, and so he is. Um, very much like you got to push it you got to you know this is very important it's a big deal so he he's been in the industry for a very long time and he knows all the all the ins and outs and stuff like that so we're also taking a step back and looking at my online profile and we're gonna like try to zhuzh it up I guess (laughs) so and because like to me I'm like oh that's awesome I got an Eisner nomination but I'm like I don't necessarily like want to post that i guess i don't know right. it's like I, I i don't like 
I, I, I was raised to be a very humble person. So it's <laughs> like, I don't want to ever come across like I'm bragging or being arrogant. Well, so. and you talk about, you know, revamping the, the online presence and stuff. I'm looking mm-hmm. here at your, at the YouTube channel and, you know, it's been 11 months since you've posted anything. And I know you've got a Twitch channel and you've done a lot yes. over there. Yeah. Is there a priority here? Do you say, do you have a preference of one over the other? I like Twitch better than I like uh, the, the YouTube or? Are... Well, I definitely like Twitch more because I can interact. Um, like when I'm streaming, chatters can chat about like the episode, like the, what I'm working on and stuff like that. I also have, um, uh, like a software that runs like avatars for my um, characters on screen and they can do raids and stuff like that. And then I'm a a partner on Twitch now. And so because of that, I can't post stuff to YouTube until after a grace period. So, or at least what I streamed. And so it's like, I've noticed one of the reasons why I stopped posting on YouTube was because like on um, a lot of what I was posting was like a sped up, um, um, videos of my work like speed drawings but the thing is is I flip my canvas a lot mm. when I'm drawing and I was getting a lot of complaints that people were like the art is just flipping so, like you speed it up by eight times it's flipping back and forth so much it's disorienting and right. so I was like well I don't really think this is a format that really works for me very well and I don't think most people want to sit and watch a recording of a stream that goes for four hours <laughs> that's not sped up so now when you're you're doing the draw streams are are mm-hmm. you gaming a lot because you've you've got that in your background as well you play you know you mentioned world of mm-hmm. warcraft do you do you sit on your twitch you know on your on your days where you're kind of you know decompressing and mm-hmm. do uh playthroughs and any kind of game streams or is it just the art and and focus on the on the comic it's mostly, I would say it's probably like 90% art. I've done at least two streams that were game-based. One was just, it was a indie game that was just like a no-brainer, point-and-click sort of thing that was like building a town. And that was mostly me just talking to chat on, you know, through the mic and stuff and answering questions and Q&A. And then the other one was, I was it was a story-driven game and I was naming Twitch subscribers characters in the game so it was like just a way for me to interact but for the most part my streams are just me decompressing drawing sketches or concepts or illustrations and i've noticed a few episodes where you feature people i guess uh patreon patrons uh, uh, people who Mm -hmm. are supporters of the of the comic show up in the comic how do you determine who gets to be in yeah, I'm assuming that this is a specific level, uh, a tier. That's, but how do you decide where to put people that are that are getting there? So the people who are in the comic um, are actually from Kickstarter. They were part of a Kickstarter tier, and in terms of where they appear, some of them I said like, um, uh, "Who's your favorite character?" that sort of thing. And then I tried to draw them interacting. Um, one of the downsides to the tier was that it said in the text, and I didn't realize this before it went live, was that it included saying their name. <laughs> and so <laughs> it's like drawing them in the background is easy, but actually having their name being stated was the challenge. So I'm gotcha. like, is there going to be like 
10 people ordering a coffee at <laughs> the daily grind, you know, and everybody's names being stated. But I, I think I had fun trying to get it worked in. Like one is one, one of the Kickstarter backers was she was in a cosplay. So I wrote her doing a podcast that Angela was listening to and had her name on it, you know, and another one, her favorite character was Bowser. And so I had her being a Corgi expert that was being consulted on the TV and had her name underneath it. So it was like, it was fun trying to like piece it uh, into the story, how to, how to fit them in. And you mentioned this Kickstarter here, $355,000 on a $10,000 goal. That's, that's quite a bit of support. Is that, when you stop and think about that, does it ever get overwhelming? How many people like this that are, that are getting into this, this project? to help you out with this is that was that completely unexpected or did you think it was going to go that high well i i didn't have really any expectation going into i think i wanted it to do as well if not better than the first kickstarter um i think for me i it's still weird to me because like you can read my comic for free online so it's like it surprises me that there's still this demand for it in print and it's well, it's awesome. like you said, there is something about flipping pages that you don't right. get from a web uh, from a web comic. How much adjustment are you having to do in the format, though? Because Infinite Scroll doesn't translate mm -hmm. to a page. Are you having to change the layouts at all? Yeah, to some degree. So all the pages were formatted by a friend of mine, and um, I turned him on to this, and he's been formatting all the books and between the two of us, we worked together to get how we wanted to format it because it's not ideal. It's not perfect for like for print, right? Cause some things sometimes panel just doesn't fit. And so maybe, you know, whatever, but I think we found a really good middle ground um, for that. And so it's, there have been instances where we've had to make changes to a panel, but not as much as you would think. So and I'm noticing through the through the the Kickstarter projects here, you've got the naughty box levels and stuff. And and, mm -hmm. and as I'm as I'm reading it, as I'm reading the webtoon, um, there are there are places where it kind of skates the edge a little bit in terms of how much we see, how much is hinted at. Are mm -hmm. you trying to stay at a certain? PG-13, TV-14 type of level, or are you just wherever the story takes you, that's where you're going to go with this? How how risque do you allow yourself to, to plan ahead? To, well, to I mean, that's a really... That's a really good question because I actually had a long conversation with my manager about that <laughs> recently because season three is going to be... Um, you know, Sam's evolving, right? So right. season three is going to potentially be a bit more saucier than the other ones. And it, talking shop here, right? So I've always tried to make Let's Play 14 plus at the very least, you know, not just because of risque saucy stuff, but because language and I mean, it's gaming culture can yeah. be very, um, you know, verbal in that regard. And but it also has a lot of adult themes. And when I say that, it like some people are like, ooh, but it's like not adult themed grown up, grown up as opposed it's, to NZ 17. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it's like, you know, 
dealing with like money and career decisions. And I just feel like, you know, like Sam is comes from a, a well-off family. And so like if her indie job doesn't work out, she's not going to go hungry. But the question is, is does she do it as a, as a thing? Does she make that decision to switch to indie game as a passion? And I feel like they, that's a question that some adults really like mull over for a long time. And I just don't think re- young readers can really relate or understand the nuance of that. So even still like a four, like a 12 year old could read let's play and understand a lot of it. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the undertones, it's going to be lost on them. And so with Sam and the whole thing about Sam's, I hate saying the word coming of age because she's not, she's already 22 years old. It's more like her coming into her sexuality. I wanted to have a female character that is evolving sexually and it's not considered a bad thing. Like it's just considered natural and it's done in a healthy way. And she's not supposed to be ashamed of it. And because that is very much kind of the, I don't know, Puritan kind of mindset of a lot of stories, at least American stories. And I know in in manga romance is kind of a male dominated society. (laughs) It's kind of, it's kind of a slippery slope. So in terms of the story, I'm never going to make it pornographic, but um, I do want it to be a mature comic that people can relate to and understand and pick up on and appreciate. And, and along those lines, have you gotten any pushback on any of your character designs? Because Monica, for instance, is kind of over the top. I mean, she's curvy in all the right places Mm -hmm. and, and it's, you know, there's the exaggerated uh, figure and mm-hmm. you have some of that, you know, everybody, everybody is, is fairly attractive, good looking, but you have a, you know, a lot of different body types, a lot of different types of characters. Mm-hmm. And you've said that there's an LGBTQ character in here somewhere. We don't know where. There's uh, multiple ones, actually. <laughs> is, is that, is that a, an oh, by the way element? Or is there a conscious decision to sit there and go, there must be a certain number of X type of characters you're are you are you skating the edge of we have to check these boxes or is it just kind of a natural mix of well it makes sense to have this person there I mean a lot of it it makes sense um like when I create a new character one of the first questions I ask is is there any reason for this character to be white and the answer is almost always no and so Um, when it comes to body type, I want to be inclusive. I want to, I mean, yes, Sam is, you know, hiding a lot of nice bits under those big baggy clothes and Monica is very curvaceous and the guys are all handsome. And I mean, let's, at the end of the day, let's be honest, people want to read about good looking people hooking up with good looking people. Like (laughs) that's just the way it is. Right. And Also, from a, from a story standpoint, if I was to make one of the romantic interests um, a person of color who is um, built or heavy set or whatever, or even a white character that was heavy set as a romantic option and she doesn't choose that person, 
then I could be accused of, you know, prejudice because the person's heavy set or because mm-hmm. they're not white or whatever. So it's like, you know, one of the one of the biggest backlashes has been the character Dean, who is a Latino. Um, he was born in Mexico and grew up in the U.S. and he speaks Spanish fluently. It's his primary language and then English secondarily. And his personality type is he's what I would classify as a charmer trope. He's very charismatic. He's very confident. Um, he has no problem speaking to people. Um, I've gotten numerous, numerous, and I'm talking like thesis size documentation of how I am internally racist and uh, projecting a negative stereotype called the Latin lover trope. And then when I come down to it and talk to these people, it turns out that they think I'm going to make him adulterous, sexually inappropriate, things like that. And I'm like, it's never even crossed my mind that he would do that. Right. Um, and that's basically them projecting their own stereotype for the character. It's like he's just a charming character. Like he's not a bad guy. So it's like, why don't you, like if you would give it a hot second in the story, you'd notice, right. you know, and. It, are so are it, most of these characters tropes and archetypes more than they are anything else in, in terms of because it sounds to me like you're sitting there going, OK, what type is what type of character is this in service to the story? And it sounds like that's that's kind of a priority for you as opposed to, well, we have to have X percentage of representation of, of all of these different groups, which I well, think it, is good because, you know, as a, from a writer standpoint, the story has to come first. Yes. Are you worried about the cancel cult coming after you at, at any point? Because yeah, yeah. <laughs> very much so. Uh, I know there are people who watch me waiting for me to mess up yeah. because they want, they want to go after me. If they haven't already, they've gone after me. And I mean, there was one episode where, um, I mean, to answer about the whole tropes, let's play has a lot of meta humor mm-hmm. and and is very self-aware it's a romance comic and it's brought up multiple times and joked about and a lot of the tropes i like turning around you know like when monica was released people just assume she's going to be the bitchy uh conflict character who's going to be fighting for the same guy sort of thing and it turns out she's one of people's favorite characters because she's really cool she's laid back and she's very confident and and she's not competition for sam at all and so you know, when I brought Abe, who is, you know, a 6'10 man of color, um, when he was deb- debuted in the comic, people thought, oh, this is just an angry black guy. And it's like, no, he's actually a really cool laid back um, leader who is, a, a you know, a, a yoga slash meditation nerd who's also a vegetarian, you know, and it's like people are like, oh, OK, that's not what I thought he was, you know, and so it, they're. I like going like pointing a finger at those things and being like, you know what I'm talking about. Isn't that funny? That sort of thing. And I am, I am terrified of cancel culture. And, you know, I had a character that was planned. I was going to put in the comic that was going to be Muslim and I've nope, not anymore. (laughs) So it's like, I don't, I wanted to be inclusive because I wanted people to feel like there's a character they can relate to. Um, but I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to, um, like, everything I do is with the best of intentions. But even even inclusion can can trigger or offend some people. So, 
Well, and are those are those conversations you you mentioned having conversations with your manager? Are those mm-hmm. also conversations that you have with Webtoon, or is that just internal to your creative team deciding what gets included, what kind of story, or is that just all you? I have talked to my manager about it, and we're kind of on the same page. It's like you can't literally do anything right. You're there's always going to be somebody who's offended. So, um. And then Webtoons is like, well, we're, we've kept eyes on things and we don't feel like you've been inappropriate. And um, if we did, we would say something. So, you know, it's like with Dean's character in the Latin culture, I consulted with about 10, 15 people who are of Hispanic descent to say, you know, how would he talk? How would he do this? How would he do that? How would he, you know, and um, the people that I offended, they literally came back and said, you consulted with the wrong people. And so it's like, <laughs> okay. I mean, like you can't win for losing. Yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I, there is somebody I know who, uh, worked consultation with the FBI for cultural uh, sensitivity. And I am going to try to meet with her and just to try to have her tutor me on some things. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm legitimately trying and, you know, it's, it is a scary thing and I can, I can totally understand why some creators aren't inclusive in their comic because they are afraid they're going to offend somebody. Yeah. Now on the, on the, the, the flip side of that, you've got, uh, for example, the comic skate movement where you have a number of people that have sat there and said the cancel culture is toxic. We're not going to deal with them anymore. Marvel DC, y'all can go and do your own thing. We're going to go and we're going to raise money and we're going to do our own graphic novels. And, and, you know, most of them are on Indiegogo, but a few of them have done Kickstarter. And they're raising hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars. And in, in, in the case of Ethan Van Skyver, you know, a million dollars for the Cyberfrog project. Have mm-hmm. you have do you have contingency plans if if the Webtoon thing goes sideways? Have you had any thoughts about a, a creator-owned comic book along those lines doing some sort of a crowdfunding project for a book as opposed to the web, ser- the, you know, the web series collected into something? Right. Uh, yeah, I mean, so my next title, my next big title, um, I already have plans for it. It's already in the works. Um, that's on the discussion of whether or not we want to... I possibly publishing self-publishing online and then also doing um uh like fast pass release through patreon is a legitimate thing that is a potential for me and i think that self-publishing has a lot like i don't have to worry about censors i don't have to worry about advertisers i don't have to worry about all that kind of stuff which is very enticing as a creator sure um and so it is legitimately possible that my next title, my next major title will be self-published. And the Kickstarter delivers when? The Kickstarter should start delivering October, I believe. Okay. And then the new season of the Webtoon, November? November. Mm-hmm. All right. And the website, uh, where's where's the best place that people can find what are you doing? We go to to the website here, uh, mongrel, mongrelmarie.com. 
Yes, that's basically my site that has a collection of everything that I'm doing. Okay, and also on Twitter, mm-hmm. and I assume I assume that's you on a on an off day. <laughs> no, that's actually <laughs> Sam. That's Bunty Sam. Oh, that's Bunty. right. That's right. Yeah. And then YouTube, not so much. Instagram. Yep, Mongrel Marie. Uh, there's the there's the webtoons at webtoons dot com and uh, the Kickstarter and Twitch. Yep, so. Mongrel Marie. All right, Leanne Krasick, thank you very much for your time today. This is this has been yeah, fun. It's it's you know, like awesome. I said, this is not normally the thing that I would read, but I got into mm-hmm. it and I enjoyed it and I thought, well, let's talk process a little bit because the webtoon thing is still a new thing for me to wrap my head around. And it's yeah. you know, you've got comicsology, you've got digital comics. Uh, mm-hmm. But the format of webtoon being the way it is, I found it was really interesting to 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 be in that setup. Uh, because mm-hmm. it's not something that I've done. So I appreciate your time and, and talking about it. And, and when the new season comes out, let me know and we'll, uh, we'll revisit. Okay, great. Awesome. Okay, thanks very much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And don't forget, tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central, a brand new Doctor Who discussion with Tardis Sauce, Tim, Macy, and Sean. Continuing their examination of the companions in the reboot tonight, they're going to be talking about Amy and Rory, and then of course we will have the week's headlines at uh, on Good Morning Multiverse Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Uh, Eastern, 9 a.m. Central, and we are contemplating. I don't know if we've decided to do it or not, but we might do a special hour of the Ranker Pit tomorrow night. That has not been decided yet. So uh, anyway, there we are. Uh, we went a little bit long today, but I think it was worth it. And uh, we do appreciate Leanne Krasick for stopping by and all of you for watching and for listening. Don't forget, we are now on Apple Music, the H2O podcast and Live from the Bunker, both available in their new podcast section. So you can check that out if you're into listening to audio instead of looking at video. Otherwise, if you want to watch, we are live Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon central here on Sci-Fi For Me TV. And we will be back with more. We do appreciate everybody for being here. Uh, you can leave a comment. You can give us feedback live from the bunker at sci-fi for me.com. And uh, we'll do it all again next week. Don't forget, a couple of things. It's your money. It's your vote. You have control. And some things you fight to possess are not always worth having. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2020 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media.